Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Matthew 16. Hallelujah. We want to continue with this that we've been on the last few Sundays and Wednesdays uh, on the head and his body. And this is something that is uh, life-changing. And uh, I've, I've been ministering this, and one day as I was, well, let's read Matthew 16, and we'll read verse 16 through 18, and then we'll uh, get into the rest of the message. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, And Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you. Now, the it being that he is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Mashiach, the one that was to come. Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, flesh and blood, your mind, you didn't just come up with this in your mind. You didn't just think it up. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hallelujah. The Lord asked me when I was looking at this one day, he said, why will the gates of hell not prevail against the church? And, of course, when you begin to look at the word prevail, the, the, the primary uh, meaning of that is to overpower. Uh, but one meaning is to be strong to the detriment of another. All right? To be a deterrent to another. So he's saying the gates of hell will never be able to deter the church. Now, in a lot of circles, that's not what you hear. On a lot of television broadcasts, that's not what you hear. You hear things like this. The church is powerless. The church is weak. The church is backslid. The church is anemic. The church is worldly. The church is, you name it. I've heard all of them. You say, what do you do? Turn them off real quick. Amen. Because anybody that's preaching that the church is something Jesus said it's not, I don't need to listen to that. Amen. Amen. The local church, the church universal, is the hope of the world. Amen. And I've had people say, no, 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 Jesus is the hope of the world. Who's Jesus operating through? His body, the church. The local church in the earth is the hope of the world. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And notice, he said, the gates of hell will never overpower or never be strong to the detriment of the church. Now then the question then is why? All right, well, let's start here in the book of Ephesians. We've been going back to Ephesians 1 consistently. We'll go back there today. 
Hallelujah. No one came to the revelation of the church as the body until Paul. Peter said, upon this rock, or Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. It was at that moment that him as the anointed one, as the Messiah, as the, the, the Christ was revealed. Nobody revealed him as the head of the church until Paul. And he received that through revelation of the Holy Spirit. Wasn't something that he came up with. But it's so rich. Ephesians 1, 21 through 22. And it says where Christ has been seated. And notice, far above all principality and all power and all might and all dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and has put all under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Hallelujah. The Amplified Bible says that this headship of Christ is a headship exercised throughout the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. For in that body, in the church, notice, lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with himself. Now right there, I could preach the rest of this message right here. So how can something that is filled with the full measure of Jesus himself be weak, backslidden, powerless, and defeated. Let me, let me help you with it. It's impossible. It's impossible. Amen. So the first reason that hell will never prevail against the church is Christ is the head of the church, and we're his body. The Knox translation says that God has put everything under his dominion. Everything. Well, the same power in the head is in the body. In the body, the church lives the full measure of Christ. Now, it's taken religion thousands of years to convince us, convince people in the church that that's not right. Because they say things like, well, you know, that was Jesus. Well, Jesus did that, but that was Jesus. Well, brother, that was, right? You, you've heard it, the early church. Let's, let's get back to the days of power, when the church had power. So you mean the baby? I, I see Andre and, and, and uh, Lexi's baby over here. Isn't she cute? Can I bring her up here for a minute? Come here, sweetheart. Let's make your public debut. Oh, glory to God. Oh, yeah, I know. I see him every service. Yeah. Hallelujah. Now, I'm going to tell you what. If you don't think this is one of the cutest babies in the world, come up here. We'll pray for your eyes. <laughs> Let me tell you something, sweetie. I'm talking to your papa. I'm trying to help him. He hasn't reached Paul status yet. 
he's still a grandfather. Okay? But if you ever need help, just come to my house. Hallelujah. Glory to God. She is precious. Let's give her a hand this morning. Praise God. Mm. Glory to God. Andre, you did good. Praise God. Now that that's over, where was I? What's that? Oh, so you're going to tell me that here's this just a few months old baby, and you're going to tell me that that baby has more power than Jeremy. Well, pastor, that's ridiculous. Then how can a church that is 2,000 years older than the, than the church at Pentecost be weaker? They did not even have the revelation of who they were in Christ. You, you understand? They didn't have the revelation of being the righteousness of God. Paul had to birth that revelation into the earth. And Peter said some of the things our brother Paul preaches, he said, they're hard to understand. Right? Amen. That church cannot be more powerful. Cannot be. Jesus said, he said, the works that I do, you will do, and greater than these will you do because I go to the Father. So what's the church in the earth today supposed to be producing? Greater works. Amen. Do do, do you see this? So in the body, the church lives the full measure of Christ. We're vitally connected to Christ. The life that's in him is the life that is in us. Amen. Notice, for in that body lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with himself. So in the church, the body of Christ is the full measure of Christ. The Phillips translation says, in that body lives fully the one who fills the whole universe. Woo, glory. Another translation says, the fullness of him who himself receives the entire fullness of God. Amen. So any issue in the church does not stem from a lack of power. Any issue in the church does not stem from a lack of power. Now listen, I I was raised Pentecost, and we prayed for the power all the time. I mean, we sang the song, oh, Lord, send the power just now. And people would just weep, oh, yes, Lord, send the power. And we're part of the body that has the fullest measure of Christ. Amen. See, you got you to go through the Bible and find out how did they pray, what did they talk about, what did they deal with. Go through the book of Acts, and you will never find them asking for power. You'll see them asking for boldness, utterance, opportunity, not power. Because all through the book of Acts, you see that power demonstrated. Amen. I had a person tell me one time, we just, we, and they, was talking, they, they were in my church, and they said, they said we, we need to have a, a move of God where people get healed and set free and delivered regularly. I said, where you been? 
We've been seeing that for 25 years. And we'll never not see it. Amen. We got people in here today, God healed of cancer. Amen. We got people here today that God healed of depression. We've got people here today that God delivered from. How long has it been, Steve? Almost 20 years in November. Free. Amen. I'm married to a woman that this summer will be celebrating 31 years. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Constantly, consistently seeing it. Why? Because we believe that that power that raised Christ from the dead lives in his church. Amen. So any issue in the church doesn't stem from a lack of power. The issue is yielding to that power. The issue is yielding to it. Look at, look at Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. Oh, glory. Tell your neighbor, I'm glad you came to church today because you're going to get some help. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Ephesians 3 and 16. Notice this verse. It says that he would grant you. Now, this is one of the Apostle Paul's prayers for the church, talking about the Father of our Lord Jesus. And he prays that the Father would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. Hallelujah. The Phillips translation says, to know the strength, of the Spirit's inner reinforcement. Hallelujah. Look at, look at that verse in the Amplified Bible because this is, uh, this is something we got to get down on the inside of us. Amen. May He grant you out of the rich treasury of His glory to be strengthened and reinforced with mighty power in the inner man by the Holy Spirit Himself dwell, indwelling your innermost being and personality. Now, now, notice the words, strengthened, reinforced, mighty power. How? By him indwelling you. Are you indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Right now, does the Holy Spirit dwell in you? Then what else did you get? Strengthened, reinforced, and mighty power. Where? In your inner man. And if that's in each believer personally, it's in every church collectively. Oh, hallelujah. Glory. So Paul's saying, I want you to realize the power you have inside you. See, when believers pray for power, they're denying the power they've been given. I mean, if I'm supposed to pray for power, there would be a prayer for power in the Bible. But there's not. Paul is praying here that the church would realize what they have. Not that they would get it. Remember I used the illustration, I think it was last night. What if Jeremy and Sarah came to me and said, Pastor, we would like you to marry us. Well, I was there when it happened. I signed the document. I mailed the document off. They're married. Can't be any more married than they're married. Right? Amen. When you got born again, that power came to dwell in you. 
You can't get any more power than you have. You have to yield to it. The the display is determined by the yielding. And that's, that's with anything. The, the victory in your life by virtue of who you are in Christ, it is there and determined by the level that you yield to it. If you yield, remember what the Bible says in Corinthians, Paul was writing about the, the Jewish people of his day, and he said, here's their problem. They have not yielded to the righteousness which is of God. They're still going about trying to produce their own righteousness, and it's ending in frustration. When you heard, I am the righteousness of God in Christ, you yielded to that and declared yourself righteous. Right? Right? You're already righteous in God's eyes. Uh, But you know there are believers today that are righteous in God's eyes, but they don't believe they're righteous, and they don't live righteous. I I didn't say they run around sinning. They run around in condemnation. They run around in guilt. They run around in shame because they don't believe they are in right standing with God. They believe they're saved. They believe they're going to go to heaven. But at the right, uh, right on the other hand, they believe they're just good old sinners saved by grace. And they're just glad to be saved. After all, God was so angry. And they were just sinners in the hand of an angry God. And we're all just sinners saved by grace. Y'all pray for me that I'll hold on till the going on comes on. And they are in right standing with God. Are you aware that no sinner is in right standing with God? None. Zero. They cannot be because they've not received the blood of Christ. Although that blood was shed for how many people? So all people. So in the mind of God, the price to make everybody righteous is what? Paid. Is that right? Is everybody going to be righteous? No, because everybody won't accept the price. But what's worse than that is having the price paid for you and not walking in it. Amen. That, 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 amen. That's almost as bad as not receiving it at all. The only difference is you don't go to hell. But you live a horrible life on the earth. If you don't realize that you're the righteousness of God in Christ, the devil will beat your brains out Monday through Friday. And double time on the weekend. Amen. Because you don't know who you are in Christ. But, oh, here's the good news. When you yield to it. Woo, glory. And he brings up your past. You go, oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. All things, everything, everything, all things have become, help me out, new. I am the righteousness of God In who? In Christ. And what does the devil have to do? Pick up his weapons and flee. Because he has no answer for the new creature. Because the new creature realizes that he's defeated. The enemy's defeated. Well, if the devil's defeated, why does he fight? Because he's the devil. But you empower him when you talk about how much he's fighting. You empower him when you talk about how much problems he's causing. This is important. People will stand up and testify, y'all pray for me. The devil's just been after me all week. You know what that implies? You're running from the devil. Remember in the book of James, we read it a couple times. It says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. 
the message Bible says, shout aloud, know it, the devil, and watch him scamper. Who shouts know it, the devil? Who does? Who does? Who does? Why do we? Because we have the power to say it, the power to do it, the power to see it happen. Glory be to God. Amen. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, said he wants us to know the power we're carriers of. Amen. Look at if you're right there in Ephesians 3. Let's look at verse 20. You know, people, ministers, talk about how the church needs more power. We need to get back to the day of Pentecost. We need to get back to where the church had power. Well, that's, that's reverse. That's moving backwards. Ephesians 3.20. Now, unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think, According to the power of God. No. The power that works in us. Now realize that's God's power that he gave us. But it's in proportion to what? The power that works in you. Working. The power that worketh. In, in the Greek, energio, E-N-E-R-G-E-O, energio, mighty working power, con- consistently flowing power. It's like electricity flowing through, the, through the, 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 the lines in this building. You flip on the switch. You, listen, when you flipped on the switch, you yielded to the power. The power was already flowing because there's a, there's a, there's a pole out here with a transformer on it that is supplying electricity to this building. And when you flip the switch, you yield to the power. Amen. Amen. Do do, do you see that? Glory to God. You know, if the lights go out in your house, you don't don't go and say, it's a switch problem. The supply has been cut off. Well, God supplied the power. It's never going to be cut off. It depends on how much I yield to it. Amen. Amen. Uh, The Weiss Bible says, now the one who is able to do abundantly above all things, super abundantly beyond and, uh, and, and over and above those things that we're asking for ourselves and considering in the measure of the power that's operative in us. So notice, what he's saying is this, is that these things are operative according to the measure that's within us. So the power resides where? In the believer. And Paul states this power is operative presently. It is operative. Not will be. Not has been. Is operative. Is operative. So that that when he says it works in me to be operative, to be at work. Amen. Put forth power. Within us, that, that, that power is operative. It's, it's putting forth power every day. Now look at Ephesians 1 and verse 18. He says again, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, 
And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, the might of his power, which, notice, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. The Phillips translation says, how tremendous is the power available to us who believe in God. The New English Bible says, how vast the resources of his power open to us who believe. Glory to God. So this power is available to us because it resides in us. That power resides in us. And notice, the Holy Spirit through Paul emphasizes that the power that is in us is the same power the Father exercised when he raised Christ from the dead. Amen. The same power, the power that he wrought in Christ, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Amen. Look look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. This is... Uh, during Peter's Pentecost Day message. And he started in verse 22, and he said, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved by God, of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs that God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands crucified and slain, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. It was not possible that he should be holden of it. Verse 31, he seen this before, spake, talking about David's prophecy, he seen this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we're all witnesses. Hallelujah. One translation says, because it could not be that death should keep him in its grip. The Williams Bible says, it was impossible for death to master him. Impossible. Hallelujah. Now listen, Jesus was dead, dead. This is important because we, we hear this sometime. Jesus went to the cross as a man anointed by God to pay the price, obviously, for our sins. But just as sure as Jesus was truly physically born, Jesus truly physically died. And not only did he die physically, he suffered separation from God. Why? Because he had to imitate, he had to walk in our place. And until you were born again, you were separated from God. You did not have the life of God in you. 
That's why you'll hear people say, well, you know, everybody's basically good. No, they're not. They can't be basically good because everybody doesn't have the life of God in them. What brings goodness into your life is the life of God. Jesus was dead. Now, we think that, and, and especially right now around the resurrection season, uh, what, when we celebrate it, we think, well, yeah, Jesus was dead. No, Jesus was dead. Dead. Went into the grave. Went to the place of the dead. Went to Hades. Went to Sheol. Went to the place of departed spirits. And people say, well, he didn't go to hell, hell. He went to Abraham's bosom. There was no price to pay in Abraham's bosom. There's no price to pay there. He went and paid the price in hell, and then on his way out, he liberated those that were in Abraham's bosom. If he didn't pay the price in hell, you've got to. Because the payment price was the blood. But there had to be the suffering. The suffering suffering of sin was spiritual death, was separation from God. You understand? And, and listen, he could not just come out of there. He had to be raised out of there. Are you following me? Jesus didn't decide one day in the place of the dead, okay, I'm done, I'm out of here. He had to be raised. He had to be raised. Why? There was a certain amount of time. There was a certain place, a certain price that had to be paid. Justice had a claim, and the claim had to be paid completely. Every person in here, until you got born again, you were facing eternal separation from God. Not just partial separation, eternal separation from God. If you're not born again in here today, when you breathe your last, you will be eternally separated from God with no hope, no way out. You will be eternally lost. That's what the Bible says. How much suffering did he have to suffer to pay an eternal price in three days and nights? Because he had to pay for the eternal suffering. I don't know. It was in the mind of God. God had a plan. But here's what I do know. He had to be raised up. What does that mean? The, what, what we read in, in Acts 2, it said it was not possible for death to hold on to him. Well, what does that mean? That means there's a power greater than the power death had. Amen. Oh, glory. Amen. So all of hell was ranged against Jesus. Remember what the Apostle Paul said? He said this. He said, he said had, had the enemy... And the princes of this world knew what was going to happen. They would have never crucified the Lord of glory. The devil, didn't, the, the, the devil did not comprehend that this is going to provide freedom for everybody. He didn't stop to think that over the last three and a half years of Jesus' existence, that he was powerless to stop one man. Amen. He didn't think what was going to happen when all these believers got empowered. See, here's the problem. The church talks about the headache that the devil is. The devil thinks about what a headache the church is. This is the key. 
This is the key. Too many believers walk around like they have a foe that is their equal. Well, don't be flippant about the devil, Pastor. After all, he does have power. Not being flippant, but he only has the power you let him exercise. If you won't be moved, you can't be moved. Amen. Say out loud. Say, here I stand on the Word of God. And you can't move me. If you won't be moved, you can't be moved. And, 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 and this can be a, a, li- a little strong, but if a person's moved, they chose to be moved. Amen. Well, I didn't want to be moved. If you don't want to, you won't be. Amen. Okay, let me try this. You'll never suffer shortage another day in your life. Amen. You'll never suffer shortage another day in your life. You'll never suffer shortage another day in your life. Just want you to shout for me, with me for a minute. Hallelujah. Amen. But you never hear people say, yeah, I was moved because I yielded to the wrong thing. It's always, yeah, well, you know, I was doing pretty good. Then the old devil raised his head. From the very beginning, he couldn't hold on to Jesus. It says it was not possible that he should be holding of death. Why? God raised him up. Oh, this is important. Amen. God raised him up. Mm. When death encountered the power of the Father, it was impossible for death to hold on to Jesus. That's the same power that works in us. You know, my wife said something the other night when she was preaching. She, she was talking about just seeing how far we can go with things. Well, I decided a long time ago, I'm just going to see how far I can go with this. Because I don't have time to be that, you know, people come to church and they're just real prim and proper. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. I'll have people, they'll sit there and they never raise their hands and they never shout. There's, there's people that you know and I know, they, ha- they haven't danced since they've been saved. They'd go run and dance in the world, and now they're full of the power of God, and they come to church and act like they know everything you're saying. Never lift their hands, never praise God. Well, what's going on on the inside of you? Well, that's just not me. Listen, I don't understand it. I mean, you do whatever you want. But the power of God is working in us. When he encountered the power of God, it was impossible for death to hold on to Jesus. That's the same power that's at work within us. Let's look over back over in Ephesians 1 again. Oh, glory. Pastor, I'm shouting on the inside. I know. I know. I believe you. Amen. What did he talk about? I don't know. Something about shouting on the inside. <laughs> Hallelujah. Ephesians 1, verse 19. Notice, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us or made available to us according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Glory. And then chapter 2, verse 1. And you, 
hath he quickened. That we're dead in trespasses and sins. Coney Bear says, and you likewise he raised from death to life. Well, what does that mean? When you got born again, you were dead. God raised you from the dead. Amen. So the same power that so many believers talk about that such a problem could not hold on to you when you made a choice to get born again. When you made a choice to make Jesus your Lord, there was nothing the devil could do to stop it. Likewise, when you make a decision now in your born-again state that you're going to do something, there's nothing the devil can do to stop it. Nothing. Nothing. Amen. If he could have stopped you from doing anything, it would have been getting born again. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. I said he couldn't do it. So that's why after people are born again, he's got to feed them a bunch of religious garbage that talks about how weak they are and how strong he is, and they live a life of misery and defeat. I'm here to tell you that we're not living a life of misery and defeat. We are living a life of the overcoming, victorious, more powerful than the devil ever could be in his existence. It's important. Amen. Amen. Tell your neighbor, say, I perceive you have power in you. Glory be to God. How, how am I going to yield to that? How am I going to yield to that? Glory. One translation says, you who were dead by reason of your trespasses and your sins. So I say this about us too. We were dead, dead. And the Father raised us from the dead. Woo, glory. Jesus became sin with our sin. He shed his blood for our sin. He suffered in hell for our sin. And because of our sin, we were spiritually dead in sin. And here's the thing. In the mind of God, we were just as dead as Jesus was. Now, how do I know that? Because Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul talks about being raised with Christ, but he talks in Galatians 2.20 how we died with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. What happened when Christ was crucified? He died. So if you're crucified with him, what happened? You died. Nevertheless, I live, different I. I, new creature, lives. Yet not I, old I. But Christ lives in me. And the life I, new creature, now live in the flesh. I, new creature, live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Amen. And then Paul says this same person that died with Christ was raised with Christ. And according to Ephesians 2, 6, was set together with Christ in the heavenly places, given joint seating. So not only did the same power that raised Christ from the dead raise you from the dead, the same power that set Christ at his own right hand, far above all principality, all power, all might, all dominion, every name this name, not only in this world, but also in that which has come, that same power seated you together jointly with Christ. Glory be to God. Amen. Do you see that? Oh, Glory. There's so much here. 
Amen. Let's, let's look at Hebrews 2. I'm, I'm going to show you a couple things about the devil and his power. You know, you should do a study sometime and find out when you read through the four Gospels that Jesus never talked about the power of the devil. Never talked about the power of the devil. He talked about what he was uh, inclined to do. He talked about his nature. Never talked about his power. He said he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Says he's a murderer and he's a liar. Let, Let me ask you a quick question then. If you know he's a liar, why would you listen to him? Now this is important. Because you'll hear believers say, well, the devil's been talking. Why are you letting a liar talk to you? Listen, this is me. You do whatever you want. If I know you're a liar, I don't listen to you. I've had people come up to me and say, hey, did so-and-so tell you this? I said, yeah. They said, well, what did you think? I said, well, they're a liar. I didn't think nothing. Right? So is a liar trustworthy? No, why? Because if they'll lie to you, they'll steal from you. If they'll steal from you, they'll lie to you. The devil's both of those. Why would you listen? Why why would you even act like what he's saying is remotely true? Amen. Amen. Glory. Just say it out loud. Say, I want the truth to be known. The devil has no power over me. I've been given all power. To tread on serpents and scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy. And nothing, nothing, nothing will hurt me at all. Glory be to God. Amen. That's life changing. Because that settles the issue. Amen. I've had people over the years... Pastor, I want you to pray with me. The devil's fighting me on my job. Run him off. Run him off. Yeah, but you know, I work among the world, but you're not of the world. Why why do we think because we're in the world, we got to suffer with the world? I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. I'm not talking about being weird, goofy, walking around like you got Martian ears. No, what I'm talking about. I'm talking about walking around exercising your authority. I learned something long ago, and, and I don't have the largest staff in the world. And, and if you talk to my staff, I think I'm a nice guy. I, I, amen. But, but here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I've, I've grown over the years, and something that I had to grow into was to understand was you can't lead from the middle of the pack. Amen. You can't be one of the fellows and lead. You got to lead from the front. That, that doesn't mean that you don't joke. Ron Poole can make me laugh, and I love that. I love that about him. He was, since he was 16, we, he and I went when he was 16 to the Brownsville Revival. And if, you ever, if you've never stayed in a motel room with this man, I, I laughed so hard I fell off the bed. So you understand? So, so that's, that's part of our relationship. Right? And, and Jim, we just kind of... Are you awake? I, not really. Not really. Jim just does his work. But here's the point. I learned I got to lead from the front. I can't 
lead from the middle of the pack. Here's my point. At some point, a leader has to separate themselves. And you got to lead. Right? We're the leaders. We're following Christ. We're not the middle of the pack people. We have the victory now. Amen. Right now. Look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. I want you to see this. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. Well, everybody in here is a partaker of flesh and blood. He, he also himself, Christ, took part of the same, flesh and blood, that through death, so he had to become flesh and blood to die, that through death he might destroy him, destroy him, destroy him, that had the power of the death, uh, of death. And in case you're not sure who that is, the Holy Ghost through the writer of Hebrews lets you know, the devil. Is that right? Now, now put that together and tell me what can you take away from that other than the devil's been destroyed. And what else do we see? He had the power of death. Well, what happened? He encountered the power of God. And the power of God took the power of death from him. See, the only, thing, the only thing God was waiting on, the Bible says in the book of Galatians, it says when the time was right, when the season was right, God sent his son into the earth, born of a virgin, right? Born of a woman to pay the price. When the time was right. The only thing God was waiting on was the right season. And he sent Jesus into the earth at the right season. God always had the power to defeat death. But he couldn't take that power away until Adam's transgression had been paid for and Jesus had passed the test and paid the price. Once the price had been paid and the test had been passed, God raised him from the dead and just took the keys. Why? Because the price had been paid. Do you understand that? God is limited as to what he can do in the earth with unbelievers because they're still under the curse. He has no limits as to what he can do for us because we're not under the curse. We've been made free by Christ. God can do anything he wants to do in our lives if we'll yield to it. He can't do anything he wants to do in the world's lives because they won't yield to it. If he could do anything he wants to do, he'd save everybody today and we'd all go to heaven tomorrow. He can't do that. Why? Because they won't yield to it. What happened when you bowed your knee to Christ and made him your Lord? You yielded to his power. And what happened? The power of death, the power of sin, the power of defeat was broken over your life. When? Immediately. And so to walk under the power of the devil or the power of sin or the power of defeat is a yielding issue. I yield to it. Why? Because who's been destroyed? The devil. The 20th century New Testament says, in order that by death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. The ASV says he might bring to naught him that had the power of death. One translation says that he might paralyze him. I like Moffat's translation. So that by dying he might crush him. See, think about that. Think about that prophecy in Genesis chapter 3. 
he looked at the serpent and he said, you're cursed above all animals and on your belly you'll go all the days of your life. And then he said, the seed of the woman, you'll bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. In other words, when he crushes your head, he'll get a bruise, but you're crushed nonetheless. I've crushed a few serpents' heads in my day. Amen. I was raised in West Texas, bless its holy name. And, and on our ranch, we ran into a lot of rattlesnakes, a whole lot of rattlesnakes. Amen. Well, you know, we, we didn't have time to just shoo them off. Just had to kill them. If you're, if you're digging post hole, you just took post hole diggers and cut the head off. That was it. And then I never worried about that snake again. His head had been crushed. Why would you talk about a being that you're not worried about? Why would you worry about a being who's been crushed? Well, the devil will steal from you if you let him. The devil will destroy if you let him. Amen. I'm going to read you another verse in just a moment. When the Bible says resist the devil and he'll flee from you, does it mean what it means? So if the enemy shows up and you resist him, what does he got to do? What does he got to do? What does he got to do? Remember Charles Capps, he was praying one time, and the, the, the Lord, he was praying about some things the devil was doing. And the Lord asked him, he said, what, what did I say in the book of James chapter 5? He said, you said resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And the Lord said, that's right. And he said, well, Lord, I did, and he didn't. And the Lord said, I said he would. And he said, I changed my praying. Okay. Brother Hagin was, was praying for people that, that day, that, that evening in that church. And a man came up that had tuberculosis of the spine. I don't know a lot about that other than he was stiff as a board, couldn't bend over, couldn't sit properly. And the Lord had told Brother Hagin, he said some, some years ago in uh, Rockwall, Texas in 1950, the Lord had told him, he said, when you're praying for people that are sick, he said, sometimes it's a physical ailment and sometimes it's a spirit of infirmity. Times it's a demon spirit that's operating in that person. And he said, you put your hand on either side of their body. And he said, if you feel that healing anointing shooting back and forth between your hands, it's evident that it's a demon spirit and you got to deal with that spirit. And that man came up, and he put his hands on either side of him. Sure enough, that fire shot back and forth. And he said, so I stopped, and I said, all right. And he said, I laid hands on him. He said, all right, now in the name of Jesus, you spirit that's causing this sickness, you got to go. And then he told the man, he said, now, brother, bend over and see if you can touch your toes. Try to bend over. Man couldn't bend over. He laid hands on him again. Out you go. He said, now, try to bend over and see if you can touch your toes. Couldn't do it. Did it three or four times. Finally, the man just shuffled off back to his seat. Brother Hagin said he went on praying for people. He said, I didn't feel no anointing. The anointing had lifted. And he said, I looked over at the corner of my eye, and Jesus was standing there. And he said, Jesus said, I told you that when you felt that healing anointing flashing back and forth between your hands, that you cast out that spirit, and it would go. Brother Hagin said he was having this discussion with the Lord. He said, I did, and nothing happened. And Jesus said, 
I said he would go. And he said, Lord, I did, and nothing happened. And he said, I think I know what he looked like when he put the money changers out of the temple. He said, lightning flashed in his eyes, and he said, yeah, but I said he would. And he said, I caught it. I caught it right there. And he said, I told that guy, I said, brother, come on back up here. And he said, that man shuffled up there. He said, I put hands on him, felt that fire flashing between my hands. And he said, all right, you, de- you evil spirit that's holding this man captive, out you go in Jesus' name. And he said, then I turned loose of him, slapped him on the back, said, now bend over and touch your toes. Amen. The man bent over and touched his toes, just miraculously delivered. Here, here's my point. Here's my point. What did Jesus say in both those instances? He told Brother Charles Caps. he said, yeah, but I said if you resisted him, he would flee. Amen. Brother Hagin said he didn't go, and Jesus said, I said he would. I don't need, those are just, those are just, those are just confirmations of what the Bible says. I don't need Brother Hagin to tell me or Charles Caps to tell me. I know what the Bible said. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Now, if, now listen, here's the thing. You can get all caught up in your religious thinking and start thinking about all the trouble that you might be dealing with. Well, if I have authority over the devil to that extent, then why is he still fighting? Why are you still yielding? It's, it's never an issue of the devil won't go. It's an issue of me yielding to that power. Oh, hallelujah. Look, look at this. Look at, look at 1 John 3, 8. Do you dare? Uh, 1 John 3, 8. Let's, uh, let's look at this in the Amplified Bible, please. I want you to see this. Whew. He who commits sin, who practices evil doing, is of the devil. Now, that's a message right there. Takes his character from the evil one. For the devil has sinned, violated the divine law from the beginning. The reason the Son of God was made manifest or visible was to undo, destroy, loosen, dissolve the works the devil has done. Now here's the question. Was he manifest? Then what did he do? Undo, destroy, loosen, dissolve the works the devil has done. What was the work the devil had done in your life? The the devil had stolen, he had killed, he had destroyed in your life, and that was his work. When you were born again, all that was undone. All that was destroyed. All of that was loosened. All of that was dissolved. The devil has no more works in my life. No more. Well, the devil's fighting my mind. Tell him to stop. Well, I did. Nothing changed. Come on. Come on. That, have you ever seen anybody? I, I've seen people before in the, in the grocery store, and they tell a three-, four-year-old child, don't you ask for nothing. Right? And then they go in the store, and they ask for something. And mama says, now, no, I told you not. Ah! Ah! Right? And I've seen the mother. She's working with this fit-throwing child. And she'd look at people and go, I can't do nothing with them. They're three. You grown. Can't do nothing with them. I've been taller than my mother since I was six. That's, a, that's, a, that's an exaggeration. She knew what to do. 
I'm, I'm telling you, and I'm not, I'm not just old school. I don't do everything my parents did, thank God. Amen. My mother was a slapper. And, and, and you said, did she ever apologize? No, because she thought she was always right. We'd be getting ready to go in the store, and she'd look at me. She said, Philip Wayne, I'm warning you. Not I'm asking you. I'm warning you. Don't you ask for nothing. I knew what that meant. Don't you ask for nothing. Because if, if you ask for the nothing that you weren't supposed to ask for, you're going to get something. And it's not going to be the something you wanted. And you know, back in the day, she didn't wait till you got in the car. Amen. And my sister, y'all see her come here sometime. Oh, she got her jaws wrung more than once. I was, I was, I, I learned from that. I followed the faith of that. Amen. One time mom told her to do something, and she went to pop off. My mom went, pop! What you got to say? Nothing. So I thought. You say, that was mean. I, I'm not disagreeing. But my point is, is you would have never heard that in the steel household. Can't do nothing with them. They're three. I, maybe y'all aren't getting it. Pick them up. Carry them out. Don't say you can't do nothing with them. How, what, how do believers act? I, I want to I put a caveat in here. I, I don't smack. I don't slap. <laughs> I'm not advocating that, just so everybody will know. YouTube, I'm not advocating that. Right? You understand? We, we were going home the other day, and Liliana had done something. I, I got a couple more verses. Hang on. She had done, done something that we had asked her not to do, and she was in the back of the car, and you could just tell she was thinking about it. She was just thinking about it. And, and it wasn't something, you know, that was that horrible. But she just had little tears in her eyes. And she looked up, and she goes, Mommy. Pastor Michelle said, Yes, sweetie. And she goes, Am I going to get a spanking? <laughs> and I'm sitting over there, tears in my eyes. No. No, you're not. You're not going to get, you know. But anyway, so I'm just saying. I got a six-year-old I've never spanked. So that's just, now my older kids, they can't say that same thing. But... <laughs> Hallelujah. But Marie spanked her kids with a spike belt. So there you go. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> not, not really, but uh, that's, that's the joke. Amen. That's, that, that's the story. Hallelujah. My, my son was staying with Pastor Marie one time. Pastor Marie ran him off. I don't know if she didn't like him or what. But, uh, and Kathleen picked him up running down the road. <laughs> of course. Said Marie had pulled out a spike belt. So, <laughs> Kathleen said something like, you probably deserved it. But, <laughs> but notice that. <laughs> Was he manifest in the flesh? Then the works of the devil were undone. Is that right? Look, look, look real quick at 1 John 2, 13 through 14. We're almost done. Just bear with me, please. 1 John 2. 13 through 14. I want, I want you to see this because this is, this is, 
He said, I write unto you fathers because you've known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. Is that what it says? You know, you know if you read verse 14, he repeats this. I've written to you fathers because you've known him that's from the beginning. I've written unto you young men because you're strong. The word of God abides in you and you've overcome the wicked one. Tells them that twice. Tells them twice you have overcome. And, and, and why is it? Because the word of God abides in you. What is the word of God? His power. The book of Ephesians says that it works according to the power that works in us. What is that power? The resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead. Now, real quick, 1 John 5, 18. Let's look at this. This, this should end all arguments. We know that whosoever is born of God does not sin, but he that is begotten of God keeps himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And what do you do with that? I stood in front of a whole room of preachers one time that were talking about how the devil could just do what he had needed to do, and, and you needed to go through self-deliverance about three or four times a week, and maybe more than that sometimes, and, and, and all these things, because the devil was just out after people, and he was jumping on Christians, and there's nothing they could do. And I quoted that verse, turned to my Bible and found that verse, and said, what do you do with this? He that is born of God sinneth not. He keeps himself, and the wicked one toucheth him not. You say, what they say? Nothing. That's the power that works in you. The next time you're tempted to talk about the power the enemy's trying to exert, remember the power you have on the inside of you. Amen. Amen. That's the power that's in the church. That's the power that's in the church. What do you got to do? Yield to it. Yield to it. Everybody say out loud, I'm going to yield to it. And I'll close with this. Said he was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. It means to cause a person or a thing to have no further efficiency. To deprive of force, influence, or power. The devil has no more efficiency in my life. He has been deprived of force and power. Amen. Amen. I've talked to preachers before, and they have a hard time with this. They have a hard time with what I'm telling you. But it's life-changing. Because nobody in here or none of them have any Bible to contradict what I'm saying. Because it's not there. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. As for our church, we're going to walk in power and authority over the devil in every instance, in every situation. Amen. Amen. We're not blaming our mistakes, our failures on the devil. The devil can influence you, but he can make you do nothing. Well, I was doing pretty good till the devil showed up. Well, kick him out. Amen. Kick him out. Amen. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Right, right now, right now, right now, just bow your heads. Right now, just bow your heads. Make, make that determination. Especially if you're the head of a household today. Make the determination. The days of the devil's work in your family's over. It's over in Jesus' name. If, if you're not married, you're a single man, single woman, make the determination. The work of the devil is done in your life. It's done. I don't have to put up with it. I'm not putting up with it. I don't have to have it. I'm not going to have it. In the name of Jesus.
Father, I just pray for every person under the sound of my voice. I pray, Father, that what we've said today would make an impact on them, that it would imprint their spirit. Father, that they would leave this place today understanding that not only have we been born again and saved from sin, but, Father, we've been given complete and total mastery of the devil through the power of the blood of Christ, through the power of the Holy Ghost that lives on the inside of us. Father, I pray for every head of household. I pray for every father. I pray for every husband in the name of Jesus. Father, that they would take a stand at the doorpost of their home and make a declaration that they are the gatekeeper of their home and the devil is not welcome and he has no place in their family. Hallelujah. Father, I pray for every wife. I pray for every mother that they would make the declaration that the enemy shall have no sway in their home. No sway in their marriage. No sway in their relationships with their family and their children. Father, I pray for every person that may be tempted in any way. Tempted by the devil. Lord, your word says that we are in all points, that all of us are tempted. But it says that you have made a way to escape. Father, that way to escape is the power that works on the inside of us. Father, I pray for every person that's tempted with anything. Lord, not just wrongdoing. Tempted to feel bad, tempted to feel sorry, tempted to get over into melancholy, tempted to allow the pressures of the world to come over them, whatever it may be. I pray in the name of Jesus that they would stand strong in the victory that's been bought for them by Jesus Christ. They put a stop to that in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray for every person here. I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. If they don't know Christ, if they've not been born again, they're backslid, they're away from you, whatever the case may be, cold and lukewarm, aloof in their, in their relationship with you, was watching online. Father, I pray that they would come to the saving knowledge of Christ today, that the power of God would flow in their lives in the name of Jesus. Whew. Say it out loud, Father, in the name of Jesus, I make Jesus the Lord of my life. And because he's Lord, there can be no other Lord. I receive him now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Well, come on, stand up today. Praise the Lord. Understand something about your Lord. He doesn't share power. He doesn't share power. There's not a certain amount of power reserved for the devil, and you just got to do your best. Jesus is my Lord. There are things you'll never deal with again. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. We don't forget tonight at 6 o'clock.